We hope you were encouraged today. Subscribe to the Fox River Podcast to ensure you don't miss future messages. Stay connected through our social media channels on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, make a difference in the lives of those you know by sharing with them. We are grateful for you and hope you join us again soon. Hey, everybody. We actually thought that we were going to be live on stage for the um, interview that we're going to be doing right now. But because of circumstances that are beyond our control, a little bit of stress will come in here. Um, That's not going to happen. So we thought this would be a great alternative to it. Then why exactly do you think that you're not going to be able to make it this weekend for the interview? (laughs) So we have baby number four coming any day now. (laughs) Did I hear S-T-R-E? Oh, guess you got a few more to go before we finish that out then, don't we? We'll be good after four. Uh, (laughs) All right, you heard it right here, guys. There's the start. Hey, Ben, I really appreciate you um, taking the time to be with us, um, even in this this format today. But can you just uh, share with the rest of um, the church right now, what do you do for a living? How'd you get to this place right now? Um, Sure. So um, I'm Ben. I'm a pediatrician with Children's Hospital. Um, I grew up in the area in New Berlin. I got um, a lovely family. My wife, um, beautiful wife, we've been married for um, eight years, and we have um, an awesome family. Dexter is six years old. Um, Dash actually turns four today. Um, Ayla turns two on the 24th. Um, so we got a, a nice 10-day stretch where we're going to have three <laughs> birthdays. And so we'll see when number four wants to make her appearance. So can you talk to us just for a second about, um, from your field of work as pediatrician, physician, how does stress, how do you see that affecting children? You know, what does that look like? You know, emotionally, physically, mentally? Talk to us just a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, stress affects kids in different ways. Um, There are kids who, um, you know, have issues with anxiety, which it's kind of a different level of stress where there's almost a medical component to it. Some kids deal with stress in really hard ways. Some have been exposed to things in their past as far as trauma, um, and they kind of have long-term stress and outcomes because of that. Um, The majority of, of kids don't have, you know, anxiety disorders or, you know, traumatic issues in their past, but it doesn't mean that they don't deal with stress on a daily level, whether it be academics or, you know, sports, um, socially with their friends. Yeah. So everyone deals with stress at some point. So Ben, I think what I heard you say is that stress is a normal part of life and that normally stress is something that's characterized by a short duration. Whereas when it crosses over into anxiety, it becomes something that's Um, pretty consistent in a kid's life, an adult's life. So when is it that an adult would say, you know what, I think my kid needs help, or I think I need a little bit more assistance? Yeah, I I think when it gets to the point where it's affecting you on a daily basis and it's preventing you from doing some of the normal things um, on a, you know, from the standpoint of living a normal life, Mm -hmm. um, there's a really good... Uh, metaphor that I was reading the other day that that helps you kind of understand anxiety. Um, so 
imagine you're kind of driving on the freeway and you kind of feel this like feeling on your brakes mm -hmm. and you take your car into the mechanic and they check it out and they say everything looks fine. So, okay. Um, so you go on the freeway the next day and you, you kind of get that same feeling in your brakes and you take it into the mechanic and they check it out and they said, nope, everything still looks fine. Mm -hmm. And it happens over and over and over. And um, you realize that if you avoid the freeway, it doesn't make um, that that sensation or that feeling. So you realize, you know what, maybe I'll just avoid the freeway and this mm -hmm. isn't going to happen. Um, but sometimes you have to get on the freeway. Mm -hmm. You have to get to a place. And that's where it can become a problem. Um, so part of it is there may have been something with the brakes or maybe it was just um, when you drive at higher speeds, your brakes will kind of give you this sort of sensation and this is kind of how you can best handle it. Um, so kind of learning those skills as you go along will help you drive on the freeway without that stress. So um, it, it's a good metaphor for kind of how anxiety occurs because a lot of times when you don't have anxiety yourself, it's hard to kind of understand how how people get that feeling and, and kind of how they best cope with it. A lot of times you feel like you're like, well, just deal with it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's kind of that thing in the back of your head where it's like, People tell me I'm fine, but I know there is something wrong, and I just don't know how, how what I'm supposed to do with it. Mm -hmm. And imagine that uh, you're a preschooler, and you don't even have the language to explain how you feel. Yeah. You know, stress isn't just for adults. Stress manifests at all different developmental stages, and it looks different in every developmental stage. Can you talk about a little bit how it manifests physically, emotionally, behaviorally in those yeah. stages? Yeah, sometimes you see a very physical responses. People mm -hmm. have abdominal pain, sometimes vomiting, heart rate increases. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of times kids, they, I remember dropping my kid off at school and I see someone come into the office and they're just holding their chest and they say, I can't go to class, I can't go mm -hmm. to class. Um, that's sometimes how it manifests itself is, um, you know, in very physical signs. So that brings me to another question is, um, what are some of the healthy ways that kids and adults can deal with the stress that they have, and what are some healthy ways that parents can model that behavior for their kids? Well, I think an important part of this is that stress isn't always a bad thing. Mm -hmm. um, I can tell you from a lot of examples in my life, I played a lot of sports. Um, I obviously went through med school and residency <laughs> and... Um, talk about stress with that, um, being a parent for three times, about to be a fourth, um, having to go through the stress of, um, you know, labor and delivery and just... It's hard. It's hard on us, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Going Ima through that. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine your wife. Uh, yeah. And, oh, yeah, she's there. And every, <laughs> everything that I go through is minimal compared to that. Um, but from the standpoint of, you know, stress can be a good thing. You... Um, you know, some of the strongest metals are forged in fire. Mm. And, um, but at the same point, you also need to know kind of when it's becoming too much. Mm. I can't go 100 miles an hour all day long. I can for six to eight hours, um, and that can be a healthy thing. But if you're going all day long or all year long at that sort of pace, everyone gets burnt out no matter what sort of drive you have. Mm -hmm. um, so I think to some degree you have to 
kind of know when it's starting to get to that point where you're like, maybe I need to take a break. So you were talking about athletics, and I know one of the best ways to manage stress for any age group, any developmental phase, is through activity and exercise. Um, what are some other ways that you know of that kids and families, maybe separately or together, can manage stress together? Well, from the standpoint, too, of talking physiologically what happens in your body when you're exercising, endorphins are being released in your bloodstream, mm-hmm. helps your body feel better. So not only are you going to, you know, get some physical exercise, you know, emotionally you're going to feel better. Obviously, just being physically active helps you stay healthier from your body. So I think a big part of managing mental health is being physically active. So with you, spiritually, how does how does that integrate with dealing with that stress or taking things home? How do you... How do you bring, you know, bring those things together or draw strength from God in what, what you're doing? I think it comes down to your motivation and your purpose in life. And you had a, a sermon a few months ago talking about that. And um, John 10.10 10 was the, the one that you gave, and it totally mm-hmm. just clicked with me. You know, sometimes you're at church, and I know you're talking to a whole group of people, but that mm-hmm. day I felt like you are talking to me. Yeah. And... Yeah. Um, I'm blinking on the, the verse right now. It's right above my... Yeah, Jesus space. said, I've come that you might have life <laughs> and that you might have it to the full. Yes, so... <laughs> you knew he'd know that, right? <laughs> yeah, I did. And we've talked about this in the past, but um, to me, there was no better verse that really, really captured my motivation as a father, as a husband, as a pediatrician. Spiritually, that's kind of, that's really helped me is having that, that verse and that yeah. thing that can identify my motivation both in my profession as well as in my, my family life. You talked about walking with patients and some of the stress that went through, you know, you or them. Um, anyone in particular that would come to your mind that you might be able just to share with us? Yeah, I would say, you know, one of the most meaningful experiences that I had um, was when I was a resident, and I still stay pretty um, close in contact with this family. Mm-hmm. There's a little girl. Her name was Izzy. Um, she was about the age of my um, my oldest son when I first met her, and she was about 21 months old. And she started to have some fevers. Um, p- parents initially thought it was some teething um, on the chest X-ray. She had an enlarged thymus right in the middle of her chest, which is not something that's normally large. Usually it's large when you're an infant, but then it decreases in size as you get older. Um, so there's immediate concern that there was a tumor. The next day, blood culture came back with some bacteria growing on it, which you don't typically see with lymphoma. So we're scrambling. We're trying to figure out what is going on with this child who we just diagnosed with cancer and had you know, the hematologist and oncologist talking with the family about the next steps on how to treat her cancer that does not look like cancer anymore. Hmm. And for four months, she didn't have a diagnosis. We were doing tests. We were sending them off to the National Institute of Health in Washington, D.C., and mm-hmm. um, she went through the gamut of trying to figure out what was going on. Um, it became clear over time that she likely had this immunodeficiency that Basically, her body was not able to fight off certain types of bacteria. And she had, 
you know, in retrospect, the family would say, you know, she had this enlarged belly. They used to call her Isabelle as her nickname. So she was admitted for 270 days. Um, two years into treatment, she had to have a, a bone marrow transplant um, where basically they wipe out your immune system and they replace it with someone else's immune system. Um, doing all this with an active bacterial infection that they're, she wasn't able to fight off herself. She's like less than three years old, right? So she was about three and a half, four years old at okay. this time. Yep. There were some moments where, you know, she they almost lost her. And, and her mom, she's talking about this moment she went outside and, and really had this fight and this struggle with God. You know, right in the middle of everything in the courtyard, there's other people there. And yeah. she was saying, you need to either take her or you need to make her better because we can't go through this anymore. And it wasn't like a movie moment where immediately, like, things got better. But slowly and slowly, she's gotten better. And... She got out of the ICU. She got all the tubes out. She eventually is done with her feeding tubes. Um, she still has a lot of troubles and struggles on a daily basis. Um, but, man, I if you could imagine what this family has gone through, and but to still be grateful and knowing that God has a plan, they don't know what that plan is. Um this family has a million questions for God when they meet him someday. She said to me, the mom said to me, as, um, you know, I asked her, you know, why do you think bad things happen? And she said, you know, God's promise for us is not on this earth. It's on the earth. It's in this world beyond us. And mm -hmm. you read the Bible, and that's what it says. It doesn't necessarily make promises here, but... Christ's mm -hmm. promise was for that next world, and he saved our sins so that He can we can live eternal life with him beyond this world. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. that perspective that she imposed on me as well as, you know, I, I carry that every day in, in my practice as well as with my family. You should be up here more often <laughs> preaching to me like that. That's just like just so good and so helpful. Thanks. Hey, everybody, would you just join with me in saying thank you to Ben and Abby for that? And as it would be this very morning, it's Ben and his wife, Lacey, that are in the hospital and having baby number four. So we'll give them a shout out if they're, you know, watching online um, too that way. Next week, we're going to be wrapping up our Stress Less series. We've got some super practical stuff that we want to share with you for that. But if I could, I really need your help with this and putting it together. Would you be willing to take a moment or two and share with me a time that you found God to be faithful in your life? You can uh, do a real quick video, you know, 60-second-ish video on your phone. Um, on our website, you've got a link right there, so just click on that. It'll tell you right how to download that, or if you just want to type it out and put it in there too. But it'll be a real help to me, and I appreciate very, very much if you can just take that moment and share one time that you saw God as, as he's faithful to you in your life. And then we'll bring those, um, some of those out next week together. Again, we've got some fun things planned next week. As we've got our theme for this year of Everyone Bring One, or EOBO, uh, next week happens to be uh, Donut Week, so just a little bit of added fun. But I hope that you'll invite a friend just so that they'll get in on the practical side of this stress 
less topic that we're in. We wanted to um, connect with Ben just because of the expertise that he has, children, family-wise, as we think about, and we've got on the table right here, um, some of the, the major stressors that we can find in our life, one of them being family. So if I could just um, see, if you'd agree, um, with a raised hand here in just a second, our campuses, online, you know, please feel free to raise your hand too, but how many would agree that family can be stressful? Some people are just shooting their hands up in the air. I'm like, um, <laughs> I'm seeing that taking place. Like, for sure, right? And what I want us to do is I want us to go into the Scripture. Interesting. Every family in the Scripture that we read of, we find that there was stress in their family as well. So we're not alone that way. Even in Jesus' family. But one situation that we'll look at today that has, I think, just a very, very important lesson for us a good, an important to-do, an important not-to-do, and something that we can carry with us um, into this week and activate immediately. So if you have a Bible with you, please grab it right now. We're going to go over to the book of Luke, one of the biographies of Jesus. If you can pull this up on your phone, super. If you can take notes on that, even better. If you don't happen to have a Bible with you, grab a pew Bible, go to page 1484. And we'll find this passage. We're going to start in verse 13 while you're turning there. I want to add just real quickly, if perchance you don't own a Bible, we'd like to take the opportunity to offer you the one that you've got in your hands right now as our gift to you. Starting in verse 13, that says this. Someone in the crowd said to him. Now, if you just look back at verse 1 real quickly. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so as jesus is teaching he's drawing thousands and thousands of people to the situation so in this large gathering that's where we're at someone in that crowd said to him jesus teacher tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me and jesus replied man who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you or between you two. Now, let's keep your Bible open there for a moment. Imagine for just a second, as we're right here in the middle of the service, things are full in here, and all of a sudden, somebody just jumps up and says, hey, Pastor Guy, Pastor Guy, Pastor Guy, Pastor Guy, Pastor Guy, can you help me? Could you tell my schmuck brother that I've got you know, here with me, and he's the one that's been in charge of handling our um, father's estate, but he is doing a poor job. In fact, I think he's dragging his feet and he is using it to his benefit. Could you tell him to knock it off? Now, tell me that wouldn't be one, like super entertaining. <laughs> and two, like, like, like awkward, like going on right there. But that is exactly what was happening here. You've got two brothers that were sitting listening to Jesus teach when all of a sudden it comes into the head of one to stand up and to stop Jesus from his teaching and say, Jesus, can you help out with this particular situation? Talk about being called out publicly. This is reality TV in the New Testament. And Jesus responds. Now, it's only a one-word response that starts it off. He said to him, man. 
Now, this is actually a loaded term. For them, using that word is, um, for us, inflection. I could say, uh, excuse me, or I could say, excuse me, and I've said two very different things, didn't I? If I say, excuse me, sir, it like just totally shutting someone, which is what Jesus did. It's kind of like, hey, we are, not, we are not doing this here, going here. But what he did do is Jesus then tells an unforgettable story with a powerful lesson that would benefit all, but was especially meant to help the one who had just stood up that way. And interestingly enough, as soon as he finished that lesson, you'll see uh, just a few verses down that Jesus then begins to teach this large crowd of people about stress and what to do in that situation. Right? Really apropos there. Let's just do a quick recap of where we've, what we've covered so far. One, we've learned this, that stress can be dangerous to us. In fact, it can do damage. It can do damage physically. It can do damage mentally, spiritually to us. Of the six leading causes of death in the world, all of them have direct connection to stress in them that way. Two, we've talked about when it comes to our stress, asking this question of what is at the end of our rope? The reason we've used this particular analogy is because our stress is always connected to something. As I mentioned, we've identified some of the major sources of stress. Today we're just kind of dealing with this family one and family connections that way. It's always connected to something. Thirdly, Jesus has said, when you find yourself at the end of your rope, in the midst of your stressful situations that won't go away. You're stuck in the roundabout of stress. His word to us is this, to remember me. Remember me when you're going through these stressful times. In fact, week one, we talked about how Jesus was literally at the end of a rope for us and how we can have that resource that he provided for us then available to us. If you weren't here with this week one, it's online, and I just encourage you to go back and just for that one portion about Jesus with that. Now, knowing that Jesus would be there with us at the end of our rope, it's possible, and in fact, we kind of bend toward misusing that at times in our life. And I'd like to use a monkey fist to help us to understand that a little bit more. Sailors are famous for their ability to work with ropes and knots along the way. A monkey fist is a unique nautical knot that's put together. In one way, it's like a survivor bracelet. If you've seen um, people wear the survivor bracelets before, it's got parachute cord that's all woven together. It's like five foot of cord that you can just wear around your wrist. So if you're out and in an emergency situation, you know, especially out in the wilderness, you've got that there. That's what a sailor found. In days, of, in days of sailing, rope for the sailor was like duct tape. You used it for everything. You always wanted it there in an emergency situation. So they learned how to take a large amount of rope, weave it together in a monkey's 
fist, not, and then keep it with them. This one is much larger than normal, but it kind of helps me to illustrate the point up here. Normally, a monkey's fist is about the size of a golf ball, and it was almost as hard as a golf ball as well. Very quickly, Sailor realized this, that not only was it very, very practical to keep a monkey fist with you because you never knew when you needed it, but it also served as a weapon. They would take that, you know, little, and now you know where it gets the name, right? Monkey's fist. It was about the size of that. They would keep this in their pocket but leave a little bit of a string attached to it so it had a little bit of length along the way. So then they could just take that monkey's fist and in a situation that they felt they needed it, they could just flip it out at a person in front of them and next thing you know, it's like smack them, you know, smack them there and you can smack them this way, this way, and this way. I mean, you got your monkey fist going in every, every direction. What we were reading earlier is an individual who wanted to use Jesus as his monkey fist against his brother. In fact, what he wanted to do was use Jesus to get his way rather than to let Jesus have his way in him. Now, Jesus wanted, you know, Jesus like, no, 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 you're not going to use me that way. But the brother, he did that. And there's a huge temptation for us to fall into that same trap today. We actually use, we got Jesus, and especially in stressful situations at the end of our rope, we keep Jesus there as our monkey fist. We can do it at home. We can do it with our kids. And we start out saying something like this. You know, God is a God of order. And Jesus is God. Therefore, Jesus always kept his room in order. You need to clean your room. Jesus wants you to. We could say, Jesus grew in wisdom. Do you know what that means? It means Jesus did his homework without complaining. <laughs> Jesus was smarter than his parents as a teenager, wasn't he? But Jesus still did the things his, his parents told him to do. So you need to do the stupid things I tell you, even though you may know better. And we're trying to use Jesus over and over with our kids. Ephesians chapter 5 describes in wonderfully beautiful and powerful dynamic when a wife would choose in love to submit to her husband. But what has happened is there have been men along the way that wanted to take hold of Jesus and what he said right there and use that as a monkey fist to try to get their wife to do what it is that they want them to do. They want to use Jesus to get their way. And we can think of so many different ways that Jesus becomes a political monkey fest, a social monkey fist, and over and over and over. So I hope you'll agree. I mean, we, can, we just all got to go on record together. Anytime that Jesus is used to get your way or as a monkey fist, Jesus is used to manipulate. Jesus is used to abuse another. Would you say it with me? That is, ready? Unchristian, ungodly, and unchrist like 
It is something that we should never tolerate, but understanding that there's the temptation that pulls at us to do this in our lives, to continually to guard ourselves against it. Now, the best way to do that is this. It's rather than using Jesus to get your way, it's to let Jesus have his way in you. And hear me. When you try to use Jesus to get your way, your stress level goes up. You're trying to fix people, manipulate people. When you begin to let Jesus have his way in you, it is a thing that can reduce, personally, the stress in your life. Because with Jesus also comes comfort and peace. But another part of this, and I don't want us to miss this, when we begin to let Jesus have his way in us, we can begin to see Jesus working through us in the lives of other people. Let me give you a couple examples of that. Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, when he had the opportunity to be able to speak to many, many churches, and he saw more and more people responding to Christ. But the situation became, you would have now um, households in which a wife would be a Christian and a husband wasn't. Now, this is a difficult situation, especially in that day, because oh, it's like the husband had all the power, financially, socially, I mean, in every way. Wife really didn't have any of the power to be able to do, to control, and to exert, you know, to exert um, any influence, you know, just like forcing it that way. And so when he found this tension going on, Peter said, this is what I want you to do. Because some people are like, oh, just, we're just going to end it. We're just going to go our own ways. And he's like, no, 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 no. Do not do that. In 1 Peter chapter 3, we're not going to turn there right now, but if you want to mark this in your Bible, we read these words, and here's what Peter said when you find one spouse is a Christian and another spouse who isn't a Christian and there's tension over it in their home. Peter said, Wives, in the same way, talked a little bit about this before, submit yourself to your own husband so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words. He's saying this. If you find in your, in your house, household that you're sharing the gospel with your spouse, and they're like, yeah, I don't believe that, I don't have anything to do with that, and you're not able to persuade, persuade them with words, Peter's saying, just let Jesus have his way in you. Let him live out through you. And what you can't do with words, you'll do without words. It says the same thing. Husbands in the same way. If you want to have power in your home, if you want to help your home, let Jesus have his way in you. And he'll begin to do the work that he wants to in others as well. You may have heard of an individual by the name of Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel wrote a book called Case for Christ. He's um, hence written uh, many, other, many other books um, along that line. He has influenced literally millions and millions of individuals right now um, through his writings and through his ministry. What you might not know was Lee Strobel um, began his adult life. He was an editor for the Chicago Tribune 
And he was somebody who was hostile against God, antagonistic against God. It was Leslie Strobel, once they, and they were married, who found Jesus and then began to live at home that has this most impactful story. And in the movie, Case for Christ, and I threw this up here because this is actually on Netflix. If you've got a Netflix account, um, you you know, pull it up. I'd encourage you to watch it. It's, it's a pretty good movie. But for this lesson alone, if you see the tension that went on in their home and how Lee Strobel went on to become what he became, it was all because of an individual who was letting Jesus have his way in her life. And now millions and millions of people are being impacted as well. I learned this began learning this um, as a teenager. Um, as a teenager, if there was one word that I would have been, or would have been used to describe me, it would be the word rebellious. And I don't wear that as a badge of honor or anything like that. I mean, just like, it's just like, that's just the way it was. I would bold face, shamelessly lie to my parents just to be able to do what I want and to get what I want. I would obey only if it was convenient and it served me. Ask my brothers, ask my sister, and they'll go like, um, he is not exaggerating at all. I was not the kind of person that you would want your teenagers hanging out with or associated with that way. Now, that was pre-Jesus. When I had received Jesus, things began to change. This particular instance now, I was 17 years old. 17 independent, you know, going, doing my own thing, supporting. I got a call from a group of my friends who happened to be at church, and they said, hey, here's where we're getting together tonight. You want to come on over and join us? I'm like, for sure, I'm in. Um, I'll, I'll see you in, you know, 30 minutes. Went downstairs, told my mom, hey, I'm going over to meet with some church friends, and I'll be back at such and such a time. I thought just even telling her what I was going to do was like, you know, pretty big on my part, right? And for some reason... My mom said that night, no, I don't want you to go. And I'm like, you want me to go? Like, these are like church people, not like the other, you know, you know, like those, you know, those people like, why wouldn't you want me to do that? And she didn't offer any explanation at all. She said, no, I don't want you to do that. And I just felt this tension in me of like, well, now what are you going to do, guy? And if I would have done my normal thing, I'd been like, yeah, whatever, out the door, see you later. I went upstairs in my room, so I'm living at 1615 Evergreen Street. I remember this like yesterday. This took place in 1974. It was a Sunday night in August. I mean, it was hot, and at 1615 Evergreen Street, there was no air conditioning. So I'm just sitting up there in my room thinking, this is not what I want to do. If Jesus, you say, I'm supposed to honor my parents. Not even quite sure what all that means, but I'm pretty sure it means I need to do what my mom asked me to tonight. Like, okay, I'm going to do it. And I had no idea that something as simple as that I didn't really want to. I called my friends and told them, like, hey, here's what, here's what the deal was, but I'm not coming tonight that that would contribute to my mom 
and my dad coming to know Jesus. They'd later tell me, they'd say, we don't know what was going on in your life at that time. We knew it had something to do with God. We knew you were, you know, it was radical what was taking place in you. But we saw this change that had happened. And just by letting Jesus have his way in me, Jesus was able to do a working in my family as a result of that. Today, do you find yourself more often using Jesus to get your way or letting Jesus have his way? Jesus' number one desire for every single person is this, that we would be a child of God, that we'd become that. A lot of times people think, because we're made in the image of God, then we're all children of God. And that phrase gets thrown around a lot. But John, who is one of Jesus' closest disciples, really worked to make sure that people understood that that wasn't the case. In fact, his words were these as he opens up this biography of Jesus. Yet to all who received him, Jesus, to those that believe in his name, he, God the Father, gave the right to become the children of God. Now you notice those words, receive him, believe in him. John's talking about the gospel. The gospel is this message that Jesus willingly went to the cross to pay the price of our sins. He rose from the dead, and today he is at the right hand of God, offering both forgiveness and a reconcile or a, a restoring of relationship that's been broken with God because of sin. And we would trust in that. You see this? We become. We become a child of God. We enter into the family of God. And if you've never done that, it's like, I didn't even know I needed to do that. And today you can open your life up and trust Him. If you have, if you are a child of God today, I want to ask you, which characterizes you more? Are you one that uses Jesus as your monkey fist? You use Jesus to get your way? Or do you let Jesus have his way in you? It's something I continue to need in my life. There's a temptation to use the first, but there's the need to do the second. I talked about a long time ago as a teenager, but it continues today. When you think about what is it that Jesus wants to be doing in you right now, most of us, just like that, could go like, oh, I think I know what he wants to do. Would you let him? to see how that impacts the stress lessness that he wants to bring to you. Would you join me in this prayer? Thank you, Jesus, that you did everything necessary for us to become a child of God. And for those that are here today, ready to put their faith and trust to act on this belief that what you did on the cross was for them. And if that's you today, can I just ask you, with an upraised hand, would you say, Guy, today I'm receiving Jesus Christ as my Savior. Would you just lift the hand wherever you're at? My desire is to be a child of God. Yeah, you just wave at me. Sometimes it can be just a second to see. Thanks. God bless you. Question for those of us who are already children of God. 
Have you been using Jesus to get your way? And you just say, the Holy Spirit just like, he is like convicting you right now. Like, yeah, yeah, that's what I've been doing. Rather than letting him have his way in me. And for that, Jesus, I am repenting today. Anyone like that here? Any of our campuses? Just up raise hands and say, I've been using Jesus rather than letting him have his way. And I need to change. Just that simple action of an outward confession makes a huge difference. We want you, Lord Jesus, to have your way in us. And if you'll show us what you want, our answer is yes. And all God's people said, amen. For those here, Fox River, that have just opened their lives up and trusted Jesus, can we share what's in our heart, what's in God's heart for them? Just by going like, God bless you. It is so exciting for that. Here's what I'd like you to do. If you would just text me today, 555-888, and the word follow, then we'll get some resource in your hand. In fact, if you grab one of these books on the way out, it'll help you to know, like, what's next. I talked about next week. We're going to wrap up the series. Again, we're going to go super practical with this again. Today, there may be something in your life, and it is really stressing you. We can pray with you about it. Our prayer team's going to be down front. You don't have to come down front. You can just stay where you're at. And if you just sit there, we'll just kind of watch for you and we'll come back to you because we're going to pray with you before you go today. God bless everybody. Let's um, go letting Jesus with an open heart have his way in us. God bless you. We hope you were encouraged today. Subscribe to the Fox River Podcast to ensure you don't miss future messages. Stay connected through our social media channels on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, make a difference in the lives of those you know by sharing with them. We are grateful for you and hope you join us again soon.